0: Absolute pleasure to have you at the HR studio. And I can't continue the introduction without giving Mr. Paul Godonis a thank you for the intro. Paul Godonis, legend.
1: I am legend head. Yeah, massive Swede. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yes.
0: Mate, great to have you here. Great to have you here. Um, Author extraordinaire. Getting there. Reg extraordinaire. Sigs extraordinaire. Yeah, long in the teeth, but still there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Generally excited to talk to you. I am... I think we we're talking off air. The whole process of writing fascinates me. I've got authors in the family. It's always something that's interested me. I have... I've, I want to say inverted commas loosely. I've written a book before, a published book, but it's not It's not a story per se. It's a manual. So it's it's a very different thing to put together than what you do. Story writing, essentially. Um... And I've always, everyone has their own. I think why well, you tell me if I'm wrong. Every writer probably has their own little unique way of going about things, and it must be an incredibly difficult and challenging process every time. I think to go from idea for a story to however that's inspired to realise something or just a thought you have in your head to your book being on a shelf somewhere. How do you do
1: it? Yeah, well, I, I came up, like you say, sparks with an idea, um, sitting watching the news, terror atrocities going on, police saying, oh, the, the perpetrator was known to the authorities, they were on the UK terror watch list, and I guess as like most people like us would do, would sit there and go, oh, if I had that list, what would I do with that list, so I just came up with the story of what a load of sort of veterans, ex elite special forces guys with that terror watch list. What would they do with it? Maybe go after the worst ones off the top of it. Um, so I just had this idea. I, I had loads of time in my plan because I'd just finished doing a degree, six years spent writing sort of 20 hours a week. Um, I finished that by a few months and uh, I just thought I've got, got to be doing something a bit more constructive. So I just started writing this idea. Probably written about two or three chapters of the of story with no idea of how to write a story. It never crossed my mind, never been anything I wanted to do. Um, so I just looked up, h- how do you write fiction? And uh, <laughs> lo and behold, up comes uh, how to write fiction for dummies <laughs> on Amazon. So I uh, ordered that book, read it cover to cover. That was pretty much my Bible. Um, so I learned that what I had been doing, just sitting there writing what was coming out of my head, that's the uh, the seat of the pants method, which is, a, is fine as a method if that's that suits what your story is and the way you write. Um, but then I re- read on about the snowflake method, which is more about having a framework, uh, so like building a structure like a snowflake and then sort of filling that in, fill the gaps in with the the text. Um, so from there, I, I sort of learnt. Um, what my method was going to be. its a bit of a combination of both because if you get an idea for a chapter, oh, I've got this brilliant action scene in my head. You just smash that out. It doesn't matter about the structure. Just get it out. Um But yeah, I had to develop a, you have like a spreadsheet for my book. So you have, you have layers of a story. So you have the three-act format. Well, in fact, the first level of the book is like your, book, your, your one sentence, what encapsulates still to UK terror watch this and go after the bad guys would be the one top level then your free act format breaks that down into your start middle and end Uh, obviously you start middle and end all broken down into chapters each chapter broken down into scenes where where sort of it moves from one place to another different conversations start and end Um, scenes broken down into uh, paragraphs paragraphs broken down into sentences down to words so they're the layers of the story and you can plan that down you can't really plan it much below um, scene level but I've got a spreadsheet that maps out the free act format the chapters and the scenes um, what, for every book you do yeah and then there's a column with a timeline on so I can I know what day the um, story starts on so as you go through you might write five or six chapters and want to refer to something back and say oh remember six days ago when this happened you, you've you got that timeline there so you know how much time has passed so it was a, a long uh, duration you'll know which season you've come and gone into so you can write in what sort of weather you should have
0: it's like a logbook of a fictional Absolutely. story
1: right and the, the other really useful thing is if um like so if you've got other things going on in your life it's not my main thing writing so I might have five or six weeks where I, I don't get any chance to write instead of having to go back and read the manuscript through through 20 thirty thousand words to get my head back into it I can just read through the there's one sentence for each chapter. There's one sentence for e- each clip. You just read that. take you five minutes, and then you're straight back into writing where you were. Um, so that that's the main supporting document I use to write a book. Uh, but also I've got a character Bible. So you, you know you've got your, your personality your pen picture files that you might write for your um, chain of command so, or your, your CO's biog. Um, Explain
0: got, that for Sivpapu listening, what you're talking about
1: there. So uh, it's, it's almost like a, a one-page form with, it might have a photograph, name, age, address, all, all your details. Um, a personnel file essentially, right? Yeah, yeah. And everything I say about the character in the book or books, uh, I log in that. Because if you imagine in book one, chapter six, I say, Alex has got a sister who's 25 and lives here, there, or Um, I'll write that in Alex's character file. Because if I come two books down the line and Alex's sister appears again, I've got to then leaf through the first book and find where I've said what about Alex's sister. But when you use a character Bible, that's all there. I just look at Alex's page. Oh, he's got a sister. She's 26.
0: Is, that a normal, is character Bible a normal thing for authors, is it?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I learned about that in this, uh, how to write fiction for dummies. <laughs> key takeaway. Um, so I've got that. I've also got, um, a places file. So as a story transitions from Birmingham to London and wherever else it goes, I, I, I try Cause there's a lot of geography in my books. Cause it's all about being around in the UK and different things happening in different places. Um, I, I use real addresses and if it's, like house number 26 at a certain road, obviously I can't put someone's real address in there, someone lives there. So I'll sort of tweak the uh, address name. So like Elm Street might become Lime Street or something similar to that. Um, But the actual addresses and the postcodes, I keep track of those, so I know where everything is. So if someone has to travel from one of the addresses I mentioned to another, I I can work out how far it is, what roads they'd take, what they'd see on the route. So all the geography is really realistic and you can take the tours of the books because you can work out where everything is. Uh, So I was up at Sunderland last week. Sunderland features in the third book. Um, And walking down by the river where this maritime festival was going to take place, I was like, oh, this is where that happens. Oh, that's where so-and-so gets shot in the head. (laughs) So um, so you think it's pretty important to –
0: do you think it's pretty important when you put these places where events happen in the book – do you think it's better to have them be in places you've actually been to, then?
1: Yeah, definitely having that experience. Um, yeah, help, helps keep it real. Um, try trying to make something up in your head is much harder to describe than something you've actually lived and experienced. Um, and yeah, the more experience you've got on a place helps. Obviously, Google Earth comes into it, so I couldn't go back and re-recce Sunderland or um St James's Park in London or all, all the places that they put into the book I can't continually keep going back and wrecking, especially at this stage where it's kind of still a bit of a hobby. Uh haven't got the time or the or the resources to do that. So yeah. Writing from experience with a bit of help from Google Earth, um, makes it achievable
0: map a map record comes first yeah um or google Earth uh you chose uh, you chose a pretty what can be a very divisive subject and a very touchy subject uh and not the not that not towing the sort of p- not political line not that PC sub- uh a subject to write about um was that what came into the decision process with that? Now, obviously, with the with the caveat, not even the caveat. Was that because? Is that because of your experience, military experience, that you decided to write? But wrote about um, not necessarily your own opinions are communicating in the in the books, but definitely the. I mean, the way you describe certain things, the way you it's it's obvious that you've got a deep military experience, you've been in a lot of places, you've experienced a lot of things, but also very in touch with the sort of societal aspect of it, the political aspect of it. Really, really dangerous area, potentially dangerous area to go down and write about. What? W- why that path in terms of story?
1: Like I say, the, the the idea struck me and it's it's purely because it is that emotive and emotive, I, think I think art idea. art in terms of not only writing but songwriting um anything that sort of stirs the emotion is, is that's what's going to help you to come up with a decent story i couldn't write a really interesting story about anything that didn't stir emotion because then you you try to create create something from nothing so you have, having that almost dangerous situation where you, you you're messing with what people think and um, playing with ideas that are really controversial um, because people are getting a bit polarized on things um, across society with different topics. I think, uh, yeah, the way to deal with potential terrorists, unconvicted people that may have done nothing other than be in the same room as someone that has been doing something bad, um, to then go preemptive strike and potentially like the vigilante scenario that's in the book. Really, yeah. It people will be like, "Oh, you couldn't possibly do that." Other people are like, "No, nah, that's what we should be doing." But it's that it's that friction that, that, yeah, dichotomy that really makes a story. Um, it, it's that that friction that makes things interesting in writing, down to like individual characters. So I was talking about my character bible. Um, one of the things I've learned to do is to have, um sort of goals and aspirations of each character and and values (coughs) but you have to make at least two of them conflict with each other so even without interacting with other characters one character can cause friction and um, generate sort of uh, activity without any other interaction purely because they've got a conflict within themselves so if uh, one of the characters thing is don't want anyone to be hurt I want to keep everyone safe But in order to achieve that goal, they've got to kill someone or harm someone. or Then that that conflict, that that internal struggle, generates uh, the sort of interest in the story. So, yeah, the the complexities of what's right and wrong, um, how far should you go to um, sort of achieve your goals, that all comes into it in individual characters and the whole storyline and that, that hopefully makes it a lot more interesting.
0: How do you select characters? How do you decide what characters you're going to have in there? Do you, is, that, is that something that's preempted before you start writing, when you're planning the book? Is that something you, you want to find before you start writing, or do you let chari- like, character, div- not development, but...
1: It's like an organic process. So the, the basic outline of the story requires to have the... The signals technician who's a bit of a geek and doesn't really want to put himself in harm's way he's there to, to go and steal the terror watch list Then you've got the the SF ki- type hard-nosed characters that are going to need to be there one's kind of a mentor to him others are almost like bully characters Um then there's uh, Lucy Butler who's the ink corporal who becomes like the the love interest and then gets sort of tagged into the the team. Um, obviously, I, I I have characters based on people I know that are kind of slotted in to the story where where it suits. But I don't I don't tailor the storyline to fit them in. It's only for convenience if if I can make it work. Um, equally, some of the characters are, are not based on anyone. They're just people I conjure up and use elements of. Uh, people's personalities that I know to help build them together. So yeah, it's it's like I say, it's very organic and natural. They they tend to meld themselves in my head. It's not a conscious thing usually that I'll I'll build a a character based on just things that I want to put in. They they kind of make themselves. Hard to explain. <laughs>
0: No, (coughs) it's interesting. It's interesting. How much research do you put into it when you're writing into the book? So a a huge amount of it is evident that is from your own knowledge and experiences, from, you know, characters to strategy tactics to the way they're talking. Um, But what about on those areas where you may have less understanding, especially on the secret service side of things, on the intelligence side of, uh, intelligence uh, practices and organization side of things? Well, how would you go about doing that kind of research at all? Well?
1: Yeah, there's um, yeah, quite a lot of uh, research done, like you say, on the um, the sort of security service side of things. Uh, GCHQ features in the second book, or sorry, third book. Um, Port and Downs in the second book. Um, <laughs> Port and Down, fucking hell. Yeah, so I've
0: been in that place for a long time.
1: There's <laughs> like the yeah. the urban military legends of what what might happen there and. Um, you yeah, have a go. No, nice nah, never
0: you. been. I, we went before the Iraq 2003 war, Port and Down. Come on, carry on, I'll, I'll, I'll come on to it <laughs> yeah, yeah. Fucking weird place. Eerie place. So, for people listening or watching, Port and Down is where they do a lot of the um, CBRN testing, chemical, biological, uh, attack and defence testing. That kind of yeah, horrible, ner- horrible, horrible, horrible stuff. Nerve horrible agent stuff. defense. Horrible and... stuff. Yeah, horrible stuff. Yeah. Lots of animals lost their lives <laughs> in that place. <laughs> anyway, go on. Sponsoring this podcast today. Are rugby for Heroes. Rugby for Heroes are a not-for-profit organisation, fundraising for military charities, and they have been doing it for 13 years. Their next event is very, very soon. It is on the 17th and 18th of June at Old Leventonians RFC. It is the annual Rugby for Heroes Beer and Gin Festival. That's right, it is back. Live rugby, live music, beer, gin, street food, family attractions, and all in aid of armed forces and veteran charities. This year, Rugby for Heroes Beer and Gin Festival is going to be supporting the 353 Charitable Trust. So get your backsides along to the event and join everybody else there. Tickets are free. You heard me right. The tickets are free. There's also camping and caravan uh, hookups and spots available on site. That's not free, but it's cheap as chips. Tickets are free, and if you want to stop on site, you can do. If not, stay somewhere local. These are brilliant events. I love the Rugby Heroes Beer and Gin Festival. My favourite day of the year. One of my favourite days of the year, definitely. It's up there with the Wales versus England International every year as well. Come along. I will see you there. I might even buy you a pint. Get on to RugbyForHeroes.org to find out how to get your tickets. It's on Eventbrite, Eventbrite. so get on there, RugbyForHeroes.org, you'll find the Eventbrite link, and you're going to reserve your free tickets. There'll be many podcast guests there, there'll be many podcast fans there, there'll be many friends there, colleagues and good people, drinking, being merry, being happy rugbyforheroes.org and stay up to date with everything on the social media at rugby number four heroes
1: yeah so things like that some some things i might have heard about or known about or know a bit about i'll dig in and find as much research as i can to the point where i know enough to make anything i make up sound tangible um so there's there's stuff in there that's true there's stuff in there that's open source easy to research um and then there's there's things i I know from other experience that might not be directly relevant, but i can I can use it to make sort of embellish around what I know about other things to make it sound more plausible so um hopefully there's a good sort of blur in the line of what I do know and what I don't know and what what's made up and so kind of leaves it open to um interpretation as to what you what you choose to believe um how long before you get that first seed in an idea <clears throat> do you decide to put pen to paper? Um, in terms of writing a, a full manuscript, it will it, depend on where it fits into the story. So, um the idea, the main, the main culmination of action in the second book for Tony Blunt, I had as an idea that came up whilst I was writing the first book. It took me three years to wa- write the watch list because it was. Very low priority hobby and just something that was in the background. The watchlist being the first book, yeah. yeah. Um, and I didn't really know where <coughs> this incident um, that ended up in Tony Blunt, whether that would just be a standalone book on its own or if it formed part of a story in in the series. At, at that point, I didn't know what there was going to be a series. Uh, subsequently, I've planned the seven book strategy. Um, but yeah, you you have to write the idea down straight away even in note form. So um, I've got the idea for the whole book, the whole overarching yeah, well, story. So for the incident, as an isolated incident. Um, so, so you have an idea about a sabotage of a car in a certain way that will make a crash happen. It'll be terrible and awful and 15 people die. Um, if you've got that fixed idea, you have to write that down. Even if it's less than a page on... On the computer just just tap tap it down and, and save it somewhere um equally if you have a really good idea for a scene and it, it turns into a four thousand word chapter then then get that done uh, even if it's not in the book you're working on or um you don't use it for years to come just writing it down and capturing it because I've, I've had so many good ideas that i've thought that's such a good idea i don't need to write it down because i'll never forget that wake up the next morning <laughs> um so I, sometimes i find myself laying in bed at night have a brilliant idea i'll just get my phone open a little note file write write down the basics of it and then then i can sleep peacefully <laughs> so um three years so why was it three years to write the first book so i was working on the Sunderland tall ships program first regular proper job after leaving the regular army um I was doing a bit of reserves work on the side and the, the job got really busy. Um, first time living at home. Uh, with, uh, I think the eldest daughter was seven at the time. So it was just really busy. And um, most of my free time is in the evenings um, where you think, oh, you can just get your laptop out. But the wife doesn't really like me just sitting there next to her. It looks like I'm working if I'm, if I'm writing. So yeah, the opportunities to know, write. You are working yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's a, it's not well, let's not fool how i the same let's not kid ourselves
0: on there's 100 percent working there's a there's a what was what did i hear recently in, in the it, it was an italian i think he it, it's an italian proverb an italian phrase and it's uh the 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 art of doing nothing yeah, like a lesson. I, you know, it, one of the things that interests me when you we were talking, even on the phone the other week, when we were talking last week, when we were talking about this, is uh, why you started writing. And it's like, uh you know, you, you said you were writing 20,000 words for uni a week. Fucking that, that's a lot of that's like that's because people think that uh, 20,000 words that's not a lot to write, yeah, but. It, it is when you got to factor in the brain power that goes into decide what you're going to write. It's not just, it's just like a you know typewriter just automatically typing it all out. It's like thinking time goes into it. But then that got removed, and you need to plug your t- You need to plug that void with something else. <clears throat> you know, uh, the art of doing nothing. Yeah, mm-hmm. on board with your wife there. Like stand down sometimes. I but it's a hard lesson to learn. Hard yeah. lesson to learn. But then three yeah. books. Three books come out of it.
1: So yeah, three <laughs> years did the first one. Uh, but then Toolships finished and um I I got into a reserves job which was only gonna be part time and I wrote the second book, Where is Tony Blunt, in five months. Okay. Um, so that was 97,000 words. Um and that that was as far as first draft. Obviously it took a a while to process and get proofreaders all over it and <coughs> get it all formatted for for, for printing and then i was probably on for about the same sort of timeline for the third book uh, but then i got into another bit of work um that, that slowed me down a bit and i'm still on that now um so 14 months for the third book uh that start to finish though that was from first words to publication and i, I did waste a lot of time between books because i, I wasn't writing anything new whilst i was preparing the manuscripts for publication and getting through all the, the military checks I have to go through. Um, so this time I decided I'm just going to start writing the fourth one um, oh, so you still have
0: to get them. you still have to get them signed off then, do yeah.
1: you? Yeah, well, anyone um, serving or ex-serving um, is advised to, or if you're still serving, you have to, but you're advised to use, there's a defence information note, we all know as DINs, about publication of, um, of books for uh, military offers or anyone writing anything about the military, because whether you're military or not, if you write stuff about the military and the mili- military say, actually, that's against official secrets or that that breaches our national security, then they can basically sue you until you take off the market. Whereas if you follow the process laid down in this defense information note, um, you submit the manuscript to Defence Department of Communications. They'll then um, read through it. Any opsec or persec, operational or personal uh, security issues, they they will highlight back to you. Otherwise, they'll give it a, a tick in the box. If there's any other departments like um, uh, JTAC um, is is the it was the issue in the latest book. Um, Uh, port and down um dsf special forces uh, any of those departments that they think oh they'll be interested in this then they'll send them a copy and then wait for them to give them the tick in the box once you've got all the ticks in the box and you've had it signed off by the if if you're still serving the commanding officer needs to sign it off for you as well um and then they'll issue a letter of a approval saying yeah okay we've got no issues with this you get go ahead. There's no comebacks once you've got that letter. They also give you the paragraph that goes in the front of the book about um, all, all the ideas contained in this book are those of the author and not reflective of the, um, of the of the UK military. Oh yeah, I'm looking
0: now. Oh yeah, here you go. Got it. I'm looking at your book right now. The views and opinions expressed are those of the author alone and should not be taken to represent those of the Majesty's Government, the Haitian HM Armed Forces, or any government agency. Okay.
1: Yeah, so anyone wants to write anything about the military, get it to DDC, get them to sign off. They'll give you a letter and a paragraph, and you're good to go. So how do people get away with writing
0: books? that Do not toe that line. People like Anne Middleton, people like other people who are out there authoring books, and you read them. Not that I've read them, books, mind. But you go,
1: oh, my God. How are you getting away with saying stuff like that? Well, because they get away with it. Yeah, there's this you say about getting away with it. You can write, you can write, chief of de- defense staff is a complete arsehole, and <laughs> I shagged his wife. <laughs> they, they they wouldn't have any comeback on that because there's no operational security. There's no, um, yeah, so the, the things they check for are fairly fixed. They can't, They can't take a view on. Whether it's showing them in a good light or a bad light, it has to be security issues. So, uh, whether sure. they like it or not, there's there's certain things they're looking for, and there's certain things that are on their criteria to get that sign off. And just saying nasty things about the army isn't necessarily going to stop them from, uh, or trying to get you to stop it getting to publish. Mm. Okay. And by the way, I do like the. CGS, I think he's a great Blake. Get
0: <laughs> 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 in there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah sweet. Uh <laughs> <laughs> Do you find it a cathartic experience writing like this? Because I know a lot of your own personal experiences are interwoven into the books, right? Little anecdotal stories and uh, some of the major stuff, you know. And like um we were talking earlier, you mentioned Fob Robinson in the second book. I know you know you you served, FOB uh, Rob, uh, sang in Afghan, um, yeah. Find it a cathartic experience, or do you find it quite emotionally draining, or a bit of both?
1: Um, I th- it's almost like a therapy. Uh, quite, um, yeah. I think it's better to get things out on a page rather than keep them stored up. No, I, I don't. I don't profess to have any sort of worries, mental health wires and. Um, Hard to explain. It, it's good to get it, get it out, but I don't feel like I need to get it. Out. I'm not I'm not writing this because I've got pent up stress and I, I need to to sort of cleanse myself of it. It's just hopefully I express things in a way that help other people or people read that. and think yeah, that's that's what I feel and that's yeah reflects the way it is. Um, being authentic as a writer to military readers, veterans, or serving. I, w- I want squaddies to read my stuff and go, oh yeah, he's bang on there. That's, yeah, I'm glad someone said it like that because that's that's the way it is sort of thing.
0: Yeah, we were talking earlier in the in the in the uh, in the in the club clubhouse there about that uh, where in the first book, you know, you're talking about um, there's a discussion going on between you know X SF guys. Uh, and uh, a bunch of people who are on the verge of some vigilante action, you know, and talking through the ethics of it and the morals of it, and it's obviously revolt I don't want to give spoilers away, you know, revolve, you know, um, revolve around uh, uh, terrorism here in the UK, um, and they discuss the ethics of it and the morals of it, you know, the the, the subject of religion comes up, the subject of skin colour comes up, and I thought that the way that conversation was written the way you wrote that conversation was fucking brilliant because uh, to me i i read it thought that 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 ref, that reflects exactly what i would expect from m- my peer group if they were having that conversation in that situation you know um and it's in a as, as positive a light of that conversation can be i thought it was really well done really well done it's, and again going back to going on approaching subjects that are very emotive and very divisive, especially in age, especially how polarized the right and the left are. Right, mm. um, when you that kind of a discussion, when it's in the written format, in the way that it is there, it's something you can't really argue with. You can't, you can't, you can't argue or shut down a paragraph. You have to fucking read it, you know, whether you agree with it or not, because the way it's written, I thought it was, I thought it was really good. Sort of uh, a, a. Um, uh, A reality check, you know. For this is actually a very good example of how people think. Certain people think. Certain areas of society think. Not all, you know. And and it's not in a. It's not painted in a right wing way. It's not painting some fucking fascist neo Nazi way. It's not sitting some racist football hooligan way. It's a measured, decent conversation about the about a very difficult subject. Yeah. Yeah. Um, have you come across any any characters like that in real life, or situations like that in real life?
1: Um, not so much in real life, but uh, I think more and more you see it on social media now. With some of the not like, general posts, you see, I, I get lots of friend requests from um, veterans from across the spectrum on like Facebook, and. Normally I'm just, yeah, be friends with anyone to I up to the 5,000 limit. But, um, sometimes you look at people's profile pages.
0: I it Sorry,
1: Go for it. Yeah, sometimes I, I find myself looking at people's profile pages and uh, there's just so much hatred and negativity and outright racism that uh, I just don't really feel the need to have them in my life. And uh, I'll just sort of say thank you, but no, thank you um yeah i really wanted to although it's the vigilante thing in the book of going after unconvicted people um it was quite a strong and um sort of controversial potentially abhorrent storyline i didn't want to have it connected in any way to racism it had to be purely about blokes like us going after the threat and it's not about a threat of a color or a or a religion it's purely down to the intent of those people that would do harm to us so yeah having that having that argument spelled out um people putting their sort of views on the line in open forum uh, i think it helped sort of make sure there was none of that potential for the book to be seen as something that was just a racist horrible
0: yeah it does make you rant. think though it does make you think it's got it does prompt thought you know i was thinking about that and i still think now in that story oh man it is such a fucking gray area it is such a gray area as to whether i would go yeah i'm not going to be involved in this or not because like you said unconvicted um unconvicted but there's a wealth of intelligence there uh and again don't don't want to spoil this but it does make you think what what would you do what action would you take what what would you be what decisions would you be willing to make to inform those actions. Um, uh, yeah, it's hard. And you're back to but the social media thing, I know. It, I tell you what I take, try and take comfort in the moment is is that I don't... So what you see on social media, I am beginning more and more to believe that is nowhere near what society is like. I think you've literally got... We've got a, a world of people where we're it's... They're like Jekyll and Hyde. You got pe- most people. I think th- those ones that you're experiencing now, they're the, the not experiencing now. But the racism, the 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 bigots, the racists that they present themselves online, they ain't like that in real life. Most of them, they they. they I don't think so. Which is a positive thing. I think they're mm-hmm. just playing, they're not playing the algorithm, but they're just trapped in that attention thing. They want likes they want attention they want shares they want comments on their stories and if they and if they're getting that because they say uh very um inflammatory things or statements you know then that's what they're doing but it's only online i think most of the time I, i i mean if it was if if the real world was like what the online world is now my god you walked on the high street without seeing conflict on every fucking corner yeah. You, you just every corner, everyone will be shouting at each other. Everyone will be scrapping. You don't see that. You don't see that. You walk down the high street anywhere, anywhere. You say hello to someone. Someone, someone says hello to you. They salute you back. You walk into the shop and it's a cashier who's got a different skin colour to you. You don't. You don't say anything. You, see, you just do another human being. You're courteous to them. They're courteous to you. You walk past a a mosque. You walk past a church. You walk past a um. Oh shit. What's the what's the what the Jewish
1: uh, synagogue. synagogue. <laughs> <Shut the bed>. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, Jews. You walk past a synagogue, <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> but you know what I mean. You, you don't. You don't go past there and start spitting or just kicking off. Which is what probably, if you had the ability to do that on social media, you'd get people doing that yeah. because of anonymity and all, and just ooh, outrage and all that. Don't get that in, real, in the real world, you know. Yeah, <clears throat> it's a it's a crazy place to be, and it, it's not the best place to go to try and gauge what what. Society is like in the real world. Strange place. Strange place. uh, So, where do you frequent? I mean, we're going right off tangent here. You're on Facebook, obviously. That's Dying of Death, by the way. Bringing you this podcast today are Combat Cigars. Combat Cigars was founded in 2021 by three friends, three former colleagues in the Parachute Regiment, the British Army, and I'm very glad to say, I am one of those three. Very glad to have been invited into the company and it is super exciting to be working with those guys again. Combat Cigars sources its cigars from a family who have been rolling cigars in the heart of Colombia for over 200 years. The cigars that Combat Cigars supply to you are only available through Combat Cigars. You cannot get these anywhere else. Each cigar is unique and we have four currently in the collection we have the last post we have the oath of allegiance we have the center of mass and we have the victory the victory features on its cigar band the medal ribbon of the south atlantic medal with rosette very significant at the moment given that it is the 40th anniversary of the falcons conflict Head over to combatcigars.co.uk to see the collection. Also check out the Combat Cigars Humidor, which is handmade out of ammunition tins and will keep your cigars perfectly stored for whenever you need them. When you think of cigars for your next event, or the next event you're at, be it a wedding, be it a mess-do, a dining-in, a dining-out, a promotion, or just getting together with your crew, think Combat Cigars. combatcigars.co.uk yeah dying a death Instagram
1: Twitter I'm on Instagram I'm on Twitter Twitter don't use them very much um, Twitter's mental I think I've missed the boat on Twitter I think I've uh... oh no the
0: boat's still very much there you can jump on that boat you haven't missed the boat on Twitter that's yeah. that, that's, the, that's the best place for that's the best place for what is going on right now like news oh my god so you know if there's an, an event on now something's going down Twitter's the place to be Facebook's a bit weird Instagram TikTok's too, that's good for marketing can't dance.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I one para, mate, one para. I lie, I'm awesome dancing. <laughs> After about ten of these. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> um <laughs> so seven book series. So how'd you how did you plan out how so you, you, you said I don't think you said you planned a series before the first book. You wrote the first book and went, okay, there's more to this. So you've have you mapped out the whole overarching plot to a seven book series then.
1: Yeah, but only in as much as like one one or two word themes for each of the books in the towards the end of the series. So there's um different subplots that are going on that are going to build and I, I want it to be a I want it to finish at 7 because I think that's just a nice number and it will help me tell the whole story of the emerging terror group that kind of comes to light towards the end of the first book um, yeah so I've, I've got rough outline themes for the last three, the one I've just started has got a firm storyline I've got that mapped out almost to paragraph, uh, so to chapter level um, but best one in the world, you can write out your ideas for your, your chapters and then by the time you've got to the third one down the line it's already changed and you've you probably added another five chapters in and the end's finished and changed about four times so um, yeah we'll see we'll see where the third book takes us but broadly speaking it's looking like seven books which fits nicely and then I've got I'm, like I say about writing notes down for ideas I've got two book ideas outside of the series already to go Um three if you take a completely random one about the pop industry that seeded itself in my head <laughs> <laughs> What's the plot for that one tell me? Oh no, it's it's um it's it's based on relationships in in the uh pop industry. Um yeah, won't won't give it away. Okay. It, it may never happen. <laughs> I've got these weird ideas about um launching it as a female writer, Josephine Mitchum and getting in drag for all the photos. <laughs> f- 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 <laughs> 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 Definitely one <vampire. laughs> Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, okay. Yeah. Uh what was I going to ask you then? It sounds like you enjoy you enjoying the writing. Do you see it do you do you see it becoming your main your main work, sort of the main breadwinner at some point at the aspiration?
1: Yeah, potentially um the, re- the reviews and feedback I've got um sort of point towards it going well. Um and each of the books everyone's sort of said better than the last. Uh, so hopefully I'm build it, building the style and it's, it's getting there.
0: Well, mate, I thought the first one was a cracker. Like, for a first book, I was like, fucking hell, man. You know, couldn't pick any holes and it was gutted. So I've, got to <laughs> find some, I've got to find <laughs> something wrong with this. One part, i got to find something wrong with this. I couldn't. Like, really, uh, you know, yeah, nothing to so
1: start. The, some advice I got from a bath, the winner of writer, who he, he basically did me a favour of giving me half an hour of his time on Zoom after I'd sent some feedback on one of his writers, because he's now got his own publishing company, um, and I know one of his writers, I even after his editors and proofers have been through it, I, I found about two pages of errors, sent them to him, said, there you go, correct those before you get it published. And in return for that, he gave me half an hour chat on Zoom. He'd read my f- uh, book watch list. And, um, yeah, he said, right, you can do this, you can do that. You haven't got any worries there. Gave me a few pointers. He said, if you, if you really want to make a success of it, he said, get your f- fifth or sixth book out and then invest like four grand in Amazon advertising on the first book. Um, and then if people people start buying it, which they will with that much advertising, um, they'll then start reviewing. So you'll get more reviews. I've already got 100 reviews with 4.7 stars, but they he said that'll jack right up. And then from reading that, most of them will read the second one and then most of the people that read the second one will read the third one and so on. And so five or six books is like the, the key number so that people are reading it enough. And if you get to the point where, all right, this is really picking up, there's hundreds of thousands of people reading it, then you go full-time and then you, you're smashing out books seven, eight, nine, whilst that mm. you've still got that audience. So that was the advice I've been given. So yeah, I'm doing loads of social media um, promotion on, on Facebook, and I did a, a mini blog tour uh, with four uh, independent bloggers for the third book. But apart from that, I'm not really pushing it. I'm not investing in advertising. Um, but say so a couple of books time, then there'll be a huge push on on the watch list, and uh, see if we can. The the trick is to get those those initial sales, those reviews, that feedback, and then. By the time you've spent your four thousand pounds on on advertising, Amazon starts picking up on the fact that oh, this is a good seller, and then it self perpetuates the advertising. You don't need to pay for it anymore. So that'll be how that works. Ah.
0: interesting. Hmm. With well, the experience with the tall ships, would you would you ever do think about writing anything about uh, old school tall ship? Um, uh, what's the word i going to say now? Escapades. Or galleons and not naval so much. warfare and piracy.
1: But no, no spoilers, there is a maritime festival in the third book. Okay.
0: <laughs> you mentioned maritime festival, actually, yeah. yeah. Paul Godonis is convinced that you, you only got involved with tour ships because you wanted to be a pirate in a previous life. I'm not so sure.
1: Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> but is that something that you'd write about? Um, Not necessarily... Uh, things at sea but um i say the 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 festivals um the the great events i mean they're they're all based around ships that are are charities and they they take anyone that wants to pay but they're really aimed at sort of people from difficult backgrounds young people and and give them a life-changing experience so when you see the um jubilee sailing trust with their free rigged uh, free mast rig um, ship sailing out it's been converted for wheelchairs they, kids, the disabled kids that go on board can do pretty much anything they, they can get winched up into the rigging and do everything that the able bodied people can do, they take blind people on board um, one of the trustees for the Jubilee Sailing Trust um, is, is a blind fella um, uh, yeah, and he's, he's been sailing most of his life so yeah, there's huge opportunities, and and while while I was working on the projects at Sunderland, we managed to get sponsorship for about 160 kids uh, to go on the tool ships and sail across the Denmark as part of the first leg of the 2018 race series. And um, so hopefully there's some good legacy there for the city.
0: Isn't that pretty hardcore work? I mean, uh, how hardcore is that effort there? Because I, I remember being on a, a, When I was serving. sailed from the. I sailed across the Bay of Biscay. We were on a little 55-footer. I'm trying to recall. Maybe it was one mast. I don't know. There was like three watches of four. It was eight. Class seven, eight, seven reg blokes, <laughs> toms, and then yeah, seven, or eight reg blokes, and then four, four um, naval, naval, naval folk from from the equivalent of colonel down submarine as well. But that was uh, that was hard work, man. Yeah. hard work. So, on one of those, I mean, three masks, those things are unbelievably big. Yeah. and they're,
1: That they're, cannot be easy. they have a crew of maybe sort of 50 people on a watch. Um, 50? Yeah. Yeah, they, they'll sail with a couple hundred people on board, some of the big ones. Holy shit. Yeah, the big Russian ones especially. How old are these ships? Oh, some of them are over 100 years old. That is crazy, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Some of them are just converted fishing vessels. Um but Others are, yeah, like I say proper, authentic old schooners. Um, what's a schooner? Um, old trade, like um, tra- trade vessels, okay. So, yeah. massive storage on board, big sails, yeah. And then they're in sizes. So, you have um, class A are like the big three riggers, um, and class B, the, sl- the slightly smaller ones, they sort of just go. Uh, sort of down the scale to your class Ds which would be like your um, single mast ones that you'd experience with low level military AT adventure training Um, but yeah fantastic I'd say life changing people compare a one week um, voyage on a a tall ship with the first five weeks of being in the military really so you know like you have the oh little Johnny's come back and he's ironing his clothes and he's tidying his bedroom (coughs) well that, that's similar to going on a tall ship. Imagine having to immediately bond with the people in your cabin. You might be in a four-person room uh, having to keep everything ship shape um, and, and taking responsibility for your actions and being part of a team. So on a, on the tall ship that I sailed across to Sweden on in 2016 with eight of our sail training ambassadors from Sunderland, we, um, we were in watches of eight, I think, and um, we had to do everything from uh, shifts in the kitchen to navigating and steering the ship, uh, washing the decks, uh, raising and lowering the masts and um, uh, the, the sails. Yeah, so the kids really learned to take responsibility and uh, yeah, it's definitely helped them grow up a little bit over a period of a week.
0: How old are the kids that you taking on?
1: Um, for tall ships, we take from 14 and, and above so we had young adults as well people that have been through the foster system Um yeah really good scene coming out the other end smiling and knowing that their life wasn't just consigned to just doing minimum wage jobs and being stuck in uh, the city they were born in and they could go on and do bigger and better things and um, that's why we had to sell training ambassadors was because it was all well and good, me and my suit going to a school and saying, oh, you can go and sail across to Denmark. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, fucking cheers for that. Um, whereas if we got a kid from their school to go and do it, and we said, right, you're doing that, and we, uh, we had each of the schools in Sunderland put forward someone to do it, uh, they'd go on that voyage and then go back to their school and say, they've got sponsored places, you can go and do what I did. I, I, I sailed five days across the North Sea, and then we had a two-day party in Cadiz or wherever we sent them on their their sail training ambassadors trip and uh yeah so we hopefully changed the lives of about 160 kids in one of the most deprived parts of the northeast i mean talk about a different experience like a life change something well just a different life experience
0: you know you're not even on land some of those kids have probably never been in a plane never probably never been in a boat like i, I argue now it's probably less likely you've ever been in a boat compared to being on a plane yeah and then you send them out sent sail, sail across the ocean Mental, mental. I mean, literally a world apart from what you know. A world apart from what you know. Like you say, forced to. You have got an element of fear there as well, right? So it's uh, it's very it's it's probably a very different thing. It's very uh, probably easier to motivate people to work as part of a team and achieve an aim when there's a little bit of increased fear about and and uh, uh, a bit of the unknown because they're going to say like a fish out of water like a like <laughs> a human off land you know sitting across the ocean because i i water f- frightens me i i've got a, a fear fi- a fear of it um the ocean i should say i don't like not knowing what's but i don't like not knowing what's below me i fucking hate it mm. um and that sort of it makes it uh, for me that getting involved with water makes it a bit well very exciting but not always in the positive way uh
1: yeah, that is incredible to be
0: able to provide the opportunity. Actually, incredible because it can't be cheap either to do.
1: No, to to sponsor one of the kids onto one of the ships, obviously it depends on the size and the age and the organisation of the of, of the ship. But um, it could be as cheap as six hundred pounds for a small class D, or if you're going on one of the big sort of corporate-owned um, class A vessels, though up to about fourteen hundred pounds for the for the trip. And then if you're getting off at um, where do we go in Denmark, then you've got to fly back. So that has to be so we we put together packages for sponsors to say, right, you, you'll pay um, sort of twelve uh, sort of fifteen, sixteen hundred pounds for a sale trainee and that'll cover everything they need. And that averaged out across the prices. So um, yeah. What's the significance of Denmark? That was just the, the each um, Tall Ships race has a, um, it's almost like host ports bid to be part of a race in a particular year. So Sunderland have bid to be in the 2018 Tall Ships races and then Sail Train International, the organising body, um, they they look at the, the host ports that have put in bids for that particular year and they say, right, okay, so we've got Sunderland bid in and we've got um, Harlingen, we've got Stavanger, um, so they, they put together the race the, based on who's bid, what would make a good route, which parts of the sea they want to cover, um, and then they, they basically set the route and pick the host ports. That host port then sort of pays the fee to take part and then has to host the ships, meet all the criteria for providing what the ships need, i.e. can they get them the water, the fuel, the services they need, and put on the, the decent party um for the for the ships while they're in town so there's a, a four-day program um which includes uh, like a festival day where there's parades parade of sale you have to put on sports activities and competitions for the crews to do while they're in port uh yeah, there's a full-on program and it's a, as well as being a bit of an investment for the host port um they they, they tend to make back in terms of Local economy. I think Sundon made about 14 million pounds of extra spend in the local economy, which uh, kind of help helps to offset That's the cost. A huge of amount of running it. It's a huge
0: yeah. amount, actually. Yeah. Did you? So did you have to do sailing courses and sailing qualifications? Nah, yeah.
1: no nah. I just I went on one of the voyages as I say, <laughs> over to Sweden, but as a sail trainee myself. So the, the only things you learn is really why important. You know the orientation of the ship, uh, what does what. Where the where the life jackets are, Um, and everything else you kind of learn on the hoof under the watch leader. And the watches are led by typically adult volunteers, uh, some professionals, some um, pure volunteers. Um, And again, that that's a really good opportunity for like veterans like you and I. We could go and join a ship's company as a volunteer, and be that person providing the mentoring and guidance to the sail trainees and um, that way you get your place on the ship and you get to sail for free um, just by being one of the volunteers. Uh, Do you get seasick? No. I I have done before on on ferries in rough seas, but um, I was lucky not to get seasick on the tall ship.
0: Mm. Is it less likely on the tall ship? Um, I think it's
1: probably more down to the conditions rather than the, the ship. Probably... No, I, I, I don't know. So I did that sailing trip. Did. I was in Tatters.
0: There was a, there was a lad there who was um, he didn't eat for two days. He we we threw food out the other way for two days, non-stop, so <laughs> two days. But I think yeah. The reason I ask ask about it is, is it less like for a tall ship? I think because they just sort of move less, don't they? That the small little thing was getting chucked about across that across um, across the bay, of biscay. Oh my god! When you're off watch, you couldn't sleep. You know, just uh, horrendous. But then when we got to Spain, when we get to Spain, it all calmed down. The sun, the sun was out, obviously, and it was uh, a school of dolphins. We were, we were alongside. You know, you think, oh man, is this is a bit surreal. It's actually happening. Mm-hmm. School of dolphins came alongside. I think we saw a whale off at a distance at one point. I definitely think I remember seeing that, or if I just invented it in my head since. <laughs> but uh, bringing you this podcast today, ah, the Ardvark Group. Founded in 1982, Aardvark has established itself as a major player in its field, renowned for its exceptional technology and innovative propositions that have supported countless defence ministries, the humanitarian and NGO sectors, and commercial operators in theatres of war and post-conflict environments around the world. Ardvark is foremost a humanitarian organisation working to help rid the world of the explosive remnants of war, Their technologies are uniquely developed by operators for operators, which ensures that every product, system, or platform conforms to the essential criteria of stability, survivability, and reliability. Aardvark! know that to have a truly lasting positive impact, their technologies must be cost effective. And so they've commissioned a number of projects with their research partners to develop technical innovations with a core aim of delivering affordable solutions that can be deployed directly into communities to reduce the incidence of accidents and deaths due to explosive threats. As well as their core products and services, they also have an online shop where if you're an individual who works in a post-conflict zone, in a high-threat situation, in a high-threat environment, you can get kit from Aardvark. Their website is ardvark.group. Go there and at checkout, use the discount code HHOUR. And while you're there, make sure you check out all of their products, all their services, including unmanned ground and air vehicles. Yeah, so it does sound like an amazing experience on tall ships. I like the idea of the history of it. I'd love to be on something old. Something old and just be in a cabin somewhere and looking at it and going, Oh my God, what characters have been in here before me a hundred years ago.
1: Yeah, some what? of the old oh. Swedish and Norwegian ships. Um yeah, just amazing. Oh everything's like carved out of oak and um yeah, antiquities from like decades and decades ago. Yeah, unreal. We don't realise the history of our, we have
0: at our fingertips. I think I think, we, I think we're we take it for granted sometimes. When I say we, I mean British, mainland European. Just so much there, and a reason it's popped in my head is over well, the last sort of week or so. Is I can't remember what I was listening to. It might have been one of Rogan podcasts, and they were talking about you know um, the history of the United States is what a few hundred years, a few hundred years, and they were saying. I think they, someone said something like, "Yeah, you know, they've got, they got um theaters there, pubs there, like six hundred years old. I think six, and the rest, and the rest. You know, in, in, we were talking about Colchester earlier before we came on the podcast. Where I used to live in the centre of Colchester, a little flat in the centre of, Col- of Colchester, maybe, maybe a two minute walk from there." Right in the center of, the town, center of the town, which most people will never walk past, live in Colchester because it's off the high street. It's this little back street. You don't need to walk past it. It's like a church that was built in 300-odd AD, 400-odd AD. This thing is old as fuck. Just a little bit younger than Jesus Christ himself, if you believe in Jesus Christ. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, wow, there, your fingertips. You know, just mental. We do take it for granted. There's so much to be learned from it. Yeah, I'd love to get on one of that. I'd have to get more information off you about that, the township stuff after actually. I the I do. I feel I feel strongly, and I've done for, for quite a few years about volunteering and helping people do things they wouldn't otherwise be able to do. Only just to get experience, because as you, well, you you know, uh, the more diverse experience you can have, the more informed you are, and I just think the more opportunity you've got as a person for growth in whatever capacity that is personal professional fucking whatever you know and uh, that is what th- that is what people who are poverty stricken mm-hmm. adults or kids are are deprived of you know it's uh, it goes back to the it's sort of similar in line with the old networking thing like the importance of networking the importance of networking is not oh let's just have lots of people that like, i no, it's not it's 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 about having people who can re- reach out to for help if you need it if you're in a state but also you the, the diversity of knowledge that you learn from those people, even if you only meet them once. You know, you're learning something. Well, look at this conversation. I'm learning something from you from you. The tall ships aspect. You know, the, the, the process of writing, how you go th- how you go through it. I'm le- Learning things may not be useful to me, but what if someone asked me about writing a book? Or what if someone asked me about, oh, um, I'm looking to do some volunteering. Any ideas what I could go and do, blah, 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 I go, well, yeah, 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 actually, I met Joe yeah he said this get in touch you know it's uh it's huge which means i'm a sort of a more positive influence on the people around me um goes back to the point of those those people don't have the opportunities to go and experience things because of whatever reason life circumstances if you can give that to them it's fucking brilliant i'd love to be part of that yeah, yeah. excellent. Well, as
1: well as the ships volunteers uh that help run the voyages um to, to run the event in Sunderland itself, we had to recruit 250 volunteers um, and they were like the games makers that you get at Olympic Games. Uh, but then we also had the technical uh, liaison officers. We had um, admin volunteers with this whole, whole fleet of people that just gave up their time for free. And there, there were people from across the spectrum, from people with special needs that just wanted to be part of the event to people that were like highly professional lawyers or um doctors that just wanted to give up some of their time and do something for the community and be part of a big event in the in their city. Um and that that was kind of inspirational to me as the person that recruited and, and trained them. And after that I thought, well, oh, I'm gonna do that as well. So I went and did the Cricket World Cup the following year at Durham. And um I told them about my experience, but I wasn't worried about getting involved with the Whole organisation piece, but uh, I put myself in the driving team, so I was driving cricketers and their wives backwards and forwards from Newcastle to the um, Chester Street Stadium. Um, but yeah, it was a really good experience, and recommend it to anyone. There's, um, there's like the mainstream third-party sector, which everyone sort of thinks of as sort of helping helping out soup kitchens and food banks and things like that. But then there's also the uh, the sort of more fun side of volunteering at the big events so Commonwealth Games I know working with that at the moment um, but they've got a huge um, volunteer organisation helping um, one of the guys I met up at Sunderland he, he goes over to the Masters and helps volunteer there as, as like an usher and a marshal <laughs> so there's, there's unbelievable opportunities that not just just investing your time and doing something good, but having a blast as well. So, uh, yeah, keep an eye. There's nothing those. wrong with that. No, there's nothing <laughs> wrong with
0: that. You know what I mean? It's, you know, it's, uh, there's a yeah, there's nothing wrong with getting the benefit from something when you when you're helping out and volunteering. In fact, I think it's a lot. Everything, <laughs> everything decision you make, even with the volunteering side, all comes down. there is always an element of selfishness. I, I honestly, th- I honestly think it. Um, and, and but not in a bad way. So you ultimately do it. If you decide, I'm going to do this because it's the right thing, you know, I'm going to give some money to this homeless person. I'm going to do X, Y, or Z, Um, And you can, you can think, you can naively think, oh, I'm doing, I'm only doing this because it's the right thing to do, but you're doing the right thing because it's the right thing because you, at some level it makes you feel good that you're yeah, doing the right thing. The positive and There's nothing to wrong use, with it. There's yeah. nothing wrong with that. I, people forget that. I think. But and, well, I think, and the reason I highlight this is because I think when you when you paint it like that, I think it's an inhibitor to more people being a positive influence society voluntarily because it, they they don't want They think they don't want to appear selfish in their endeavor. When uh, there's always a little element there that is in the subconscious level. You're doing it because the right thing. And the right thing makes you feel good. I'm fucking quite happy to admit that. You know, quite happy to admit it. But um, no, about 100%. But yeah, especially a person like yourself. So busy, one with your work, two with the books, and then taking time out to go and volunteer. You know, we did the patron's icebreaker call, uh, icebreaker interview before this. And, you know, there's a, a, several of the patrons are, you know, they well, fucking most of the patrons, actually, are just out their way, spend lots of time volunteering to try and improve other people's lives. Purely because they have the capacity to do so, you know, and and they understand the impact of providing those alternative experiences that people would otherwise not get. And like to your point, that is done through mainly through the the availability of volunteers, because otherwise it costs a fucking bomb. (laughs) Otherwise, you'd have to be run. uh, You'd have to be a profit making organization that's running it, and you wouldn't get the same benefit. You know, you wouldn't have the same kind of running it, same kind of emotional investment in it. You know,
1: yeah, exactly, yeah. Yeah. What's um
0: Have you given any thought to the next book series? Even though the first one's not finished.
1: Um
0: are you going to stay on the military
1: thing? Yeah, I think um definitely military military characters central roles. Um Yeah, I've got like so I've got a couple of ideas that seem to be standalone books, but then again I thought the Watch this was a standalone book when I f- when I started it. So I don't think you can really say whether it'll be a standalone or a series until you get to the end and if it's got a cliffhanger that naturally presents itself, then take that and that's your stepping stone onto the next project. Um,
0: So, again, without spoilers, so I know now what the stepping stone is to the second book. So you didn't realise about, I'm not going to say what the stepping stone is, but you didn't realise that stepping stone until you finished the first book. No. Oh, Interesting interesting oh because to me it's obvious but it's only because it's written in written form but yeah. <laughs> it's, it's interesting yeah it's interesting yeah yeah okay
1: i thought that was planned in there no no it was um fortunate that i'd left it the way it was and um like i say the culmination of the second book fitted in nicely with that stepping stone and it was like i say an organic process that has worked out <laughs> yeah yeah
0: it's good the uh, the end of the first one's a shocker, bit of a shocker. Didn't quite expect it to go that way at all. Gutted. I was gutted in some ways. Gutted. <laughs> <laughs> it's weird trying to talk about this without giving away spoilers. So come on, like you know, the first we will we got a we've got a few minutes left. So the uh, the first we got we got three. Right? We've got the first book's the watch list. The Second book is uh, 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 where is Tony Blunt. The third book's um, hitting home. So yeah, on the watch. I mean, we were talking. You know, we were talking before. I have not been into fiction for a long time. And I used to belt feed fiction, belt feed it as a big Lee Child fan, as a big um, Michael Connelly fan, just those series of books. Mm-hmm. Uh, my mother got me into those actually, but again, the military connection uh, on the Lee Child side and the Michael Connelly side with those characters, that military connection, you can just got sort of resonate with it. But then, for some reason, I went away from fiction. When I left, and I think it's just—I think it was because I wanted to be productive and want everything I was doing, from reading. So if I was reading, I have to be learning, gotta be learning, gotta be—you know—everything to be productive. Uh, but well, it's not about... It. So yours is yours is the first fiction book I've read in mate. I can't think of how long. I mean, five plus years, five plus, between five and ten years, and absolute pleasure to read it you know you know that i've already told you i've left the amazon review, but i mean genuinely i don't i don't i don't i don't bullshit really really enjoyed it really engaging and i read it on kindle right and i flew through it on kindle because on the kindle it's set so it tells me i don't know if you've got a kindle but it tells you what percentage of the book is left or what percentage of the chapter is left i was fucking flying through it and then when you gave me the physical copy of the book today i looked and thought no it's not that big I can't believe how big it is. I thought it was much shorter because I was, fl- you know, when you're enjoying something, you fly through it. You want it just ends a lot quicker than you want it to end. Yeah. So yeah, fucking flew through. it Could literally couldn't put it down. Couldn't put it down. Managed to bang through. it I've started on the second book now. I'm looking forward to looking forward. To, if I fact, if I started the second book late yesterday, and I'm on 19% as of this morning. I mean, I woke up this morning, started reading straight away in bed, like eight o'clock. Like reading away, cool. It's <laughs> <That's> good, <mate. laughs> They're really engaging books. You know, I, I, I like it. You're not, um, you've struck a really good balance between going full on, over the top military terminology and, you know, you, uh, and just things that most people wouldn't understand terminology and phrases and especially the military slang. Mm-hmm. But there's enough in there that it is blatantly written by a military blog. Uh, the way the storylines are, the way little anecdotes are, the way the way the subplots and things happen are really, I think, are really accurate. They're really, uh, you, you can tell when something's bullshit, right? You can tell when an author's writing about something and they've got no experience about it. They go, uh, hmm, <laughs> mm, I don't know if this is right, but in this case, it's not. Really good, really engaging books. I like it. The character's really exciting. Or well, you know, because I I message you a couple of times going, is this character based on someone? And I would like tell me what this character is based. On. I want to <laughs> know. Is this a real life person? Because the fucking quality. And uh, yeah, mate, quality like generally, generally for a first book, pff, you would think I was your third, fourth, fifth, sixth book. I re, you know, I really enjoyed it. So, it um, looking forward to the rest. Reading the rest. Looking forward to the whole series. Uh, People who are listening or watching, so the first book by Joe is called The Watch List on Amazon. Yeah, Amazon's yep. the best place to get it. Have you audio booked it?
1: No, I looked into it. It's quite expensive to get recorded pro- professionally. Um, gonna is it? 1500 quid for a professional recording artist. Um, but you know what comes into the part of that card?
0: Why wouldn't you audio book it yourself?
1: Well, I tried reading the first chapter, recorded it on my phone, and listening back to it, it sounded like David Beckham was having a stroke, and I thought no one wants to listen to that, so uh, I looked into the pricing, um, but like I say, if it, if it picks up and it takes off, then uh, it's definitely something I'd do, because there's loads of people that said they'd listen to it, but while it's still almost hobby stage, I'm not going to invest that much money. Well, if you didn't
0: it. find, if you didn't want to do it yourself... But you f- we want to record an artist and you want to reduce the cost. There's always, I know a studio. Yeah. I know <laughs> a studio that you could use. <laughs> yeah. The mates <mix laughs> rates for like zero bucks. Yeah, honestly. So if you want to, yeah. you know, yeah. So um, if you, I said, I was going to say, because my preference is always for people to do it themselves. But then I've never considered fiction. Fiction's a bit different. But it's, 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 the audiobook is two sides to it. Isn't it? The, the audiobooks, I, I listen to a lot of audiobooks, and you either get one where, if someone's narrating the, so whoever's read, narrating the book or reading the book, audio book in the book, the vocal artist, the voice artist, they either do it so they, they use the same voice all the way through, even for different characters, mm-hmm. or they put on different accents for different characters. It just depends what you want, doesn't it? I suppose. And that's down to you. Depends what you want. But um, yeah, no, no, studio show if you want to use it. 100%, 100%, drama. That's reduced cost. But, uh, yeah, definitely more audiobooking. I think more people are moving towards audiobooks because of time. Yeah, People are less willing to sit do nothing, sit without reading something. Yeah, they yeah. want to multitask. They want to be in the car, listen to audiobook. I started audiobooking in the gym. now. I, I would go to the gym and not have anything. I don't go with the heavy headphones or anything. The last, in fact, because of your fucking book. No, 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 it can't be yours. It's not an audiobook. What was it listening to? <laughs> something else. Going into the gym last week and audiobooking in the gym. What was it listening to? Wasn't fiction. I know that Yours was the only fiction I'm reading. Mm-hmm. I can't remember. But um, anyway, no, but to my point, you only use your studio. It's not a drama, not a drama. So apart from Amazon, where can is there anywhere else people should go connect with you, follow you? Books. see you? I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll put if, so people listening. I'll put sorry to I oh, know you're gonna jump in. I asked you a question and talk right over here. Uh, I'll put the link to Joe's Amazon author profile in the blurb of this podcast. So if you're listening on that podcast or Spotify or YouTube, whatever, look in the description on the link to single in there. Where else Joe?
1: Yeah. I'm um, on Facebook and Twitter and uh, what's the trendy one? Instagram, Instagram. Trendy. I call it trendy. <laughs> so yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm on those. And if anyone wants signed copies, I uh, I can paste them out. My offer copies. Um, not a problem people, oh so just contact you on Instagram Facebook. yeah direct message or put a comment on one of the pictures or something I'll pick it up
0: oh sweet excellent
1: mate cost, cost a couple of quid extra for the postage, but
0: yeah it been an absolute pleasure absolute pleasure mate and I look forward to reading the rest of the books yeah well done cheers cool. thanks for having me no worries my pleasure dude. Ah, oh, Paul Godonis thank you Paul again yeah cheers Paul for the intro <laughs> 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 mate good luck with the rest of them cheers excellent.